0: Well, hello, Crossroads family. It's so good to just come to you just for a few moments. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor of Renewal Church of Chicago. I also serve as the president and chair of the Chicago Partnership. I want to tell you a little bit about our church. Our church is a multi-ethnic gospel-centered a church that's in the middle of Chicago where we make disciples and we want to see Jesus' name famous not only here in the city but on throughout, throughout the world. So we we see hearts renewed, people rebuilt and, and released through the city to see this city better. That's our vision. We want to see God do an amazing work in here. And we've been going for about seven years now and we we've seen exactly what we've Dream to see a multi-ethnic church in a city that's very divided, multicultural church in a city where there's so many cultures, but we're very divided, socioeconomically diverse church in a in a in a city where if you go by neighborhoods, it's very divided. Again, we've seen all of this happen because we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what brings people together and keeps people together. People together, and we've been able to see that in our church. And so, I just want to say thank you again. Uh, to, to your faithfulness as you're celebrating on today. Thank you so much for all you've done for the city of Chicago, the Chicago Partnership, and Renewal Church. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and God bless you.
1: Hi, my name is Seth Phillip. I'm with Mustard Seed Network, serving in Kyoto, Japan, at a church that uh, was planted about three years ago named Mustard Seed Christian Church. God started to show us the incredible need uh, for a new church and for a gospel witness in this incredible city of Kyoto. You know, Japan in in general uh, is a place where less than 1% of the population uh, knows Jesus Christ. Most people here uh, have never been to church, they've never heard the gospel, they've never read the Bible, they might not even know a single Christian in their whole life. Because of your partnership, this church is now able to be here in this city as a, as a city on a hill, a, a light shining the hope and the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ in a dark place uh, for many, many years to come. Thank you so much.
2: Well, hello, Crossroads Church. My name is Ricky Brown. I am the founder and pastor of New Creation Church here in the beautiful city of Chicago, just right up the road from you in Evansville, Indiana. You know, our church launched in September of 2018, and we are a multi-ethnic, intergenerational uh, community of disciples making disciples. And the most important thing I can tell you about our church is that in America when a new church is started, about 40 to 42% of the people that attend the church are non churchgoers people who are not connected to a church. But a new creation church, 70% of the people in our church were not connected to a church before we launched. That's the most important thing I can tell you. You know, over the years, God has been good to us. We will, Lord willing, turn three in September, and we got up to 160 people within seven months. And shortly after that, maybe seven months after that, COVID happened. So I would love to follow protocol on these videos and tell you how we're killing it and how everything is wonderful. But here's what I want to tell you. This season has been tough for us. This season has been hard. So here's the good news. The good news is the members of New Creation Church and more importantly, myself, we're learning how to trust God more in this season. We're growing in our dependency in God in this season. We're growing in our obedience to God in this season. We're growing in our willingness to lean on him and not our own understanding in this season. So that's the good news of what's happening with us in this season. God is drawing us into prayer in this season. God is focusing us on the gospel in this season. God is focusing us and tuning our ears to his voice in this season. So that's the good news of what God is doing at New Creation Church in this season. We're so thankful for your partnership. We're so thankful for everything you've done. And I cannot wait to get down to Evansville and wrap my arms around you and meet you in person. God bless you, we love you, I'll see you soon.
3: Good morning, Crossroads. Who is excited for church today? Come on. Uh, Welcome, Newberg and those online. My name is Ali, and they say if you show your family, people are more likely to listen. So look at my my beautiful family up here on the screen. Uh, It's my better half, my my beautiful wife, Yasmin, my five-year-old, Sophia, and the little two-year-old who eats like her dad, uh, Zoe. Um, I'm just honored to be here, Uh, your church Uh, helped start our church three years ago in Silicon Valley, which is the most unchurched region in the entire country. 98% of the people in Silicon Valley do not yet know Jesus, but there's a small church that you guys helped start that has led 200 plus people to receive Christ. 200 lives are changed because of you guys. You guys are shaking the gates of hell. I can't say thank you enough. And I remember when I came, where's Pastor Phil? Pastor Phil, I wanna just honor you. Thank you, can we just give Pastor Phil a huge applause? You guys have a great pastor, a great leader. And I remember when he, when he invited me to come, I'm like, man, I, I preach to a very unchurched people. They, they have, with their arms crossed, he's like, be you. I'm like, okay. So some of you, you're gonna love this sermon. Some of you can sit there with your butt cheeks clenched for 30 minutes. You're welcome for the workout. You guys ready for God's word? <laughs> Nehemiah chapter one. Uh, the words of Nehemiah, somebody shout Nehemiah. I'm, I love audience participation. I'm going to ask you to say some things back to me today. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hacaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 12th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven." I wanna to preach to you for the next 27 seconds, and, 27 minutes and 58 seconds around this idea, pick it up. Turn to your neighbor and say, pick it, pick it up. Now turn to your other neighbor that you have abandoned and forsaken in church and say, pick it up. Pick it up. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for what you're gonna do today. I pray for this message. I pray that you'd, Holy Spirit, that you'd breathe over us, that you, you would teach us this principle of picking it up. If you believe that, everybody said, amen. 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 Uh, show of hands, who's a foodie? Who loves food? I, I love food. And some of you are like, Pastor Alley. there's no way you're too thin. Don't worry, I have this spiritual gift where I eat and Kentucky fans get fat. It's awesome. <laughs> it's, uh, it's awesome. Uh, I, I'm Silicon Valley, born and raised on the playground. It's where I spent most of my days. And, uh, Uh, California is 50% Hispanic, Silicon Valley, the tech capital of the world is 30% Hispanic. And the reason why I tell you that is we have the best Mexican food outside of Mexico. And if you love Mexican food, you will love Silicon Valley. But life was very, very difficult for me when I went to college. I went to a small rural farm town named San Luis Obispo. Farm country, tri-tip country. Everyone and their mom drives an F-150 country. This is like different, right? And they have two Mexican restaurants. One of them is a Carl's Jr. and a Green Breeder. You know, like two, two restaurants in one, those weird things. If you eat this food, something green's gonna come out of you and I'm never going there. But, but, but this is like 1999, I'm giving you my age. This was before Yelp existed. And so like before Yelp, you, you have to risk your life and, and maybe time on the toilet by going somewhere that you didn't know, right? And so imagine I, I, there was another restaurant. I just refused to go. And the power of Yelp is that looks can be deceiving. You might look at something like, man, no. But Yelp says, I survived, I didn't die, no diarrhea. You can eat here and survive, you'll love it. Some of you know this, the House of Cuomo here in town. Looks like you need a bulletproof vest to go there. But the Shekinah glory of God is on that restaurant, right? How about Zesto? What do ice cream and burrs have in common? Nothing, but somehow they put those two things together and it's amazing. And that's the power of Yelp. But 1999, Yelp did not exist. So imagine the one other Mexican spot in San Luis Obispo was called Chili Peppers. And I drove by this place every day for three years, to and from school. It was, it's one of those hole in the walls that you, you, they all have the same feel. The bathroom, you need a hazmat suit to go in, right? The dirt floor is always dirty. The workers don't even speak English. And I'm like, oh, I got, I'm, I'm tired of Subway and Jamba Juice. I need to try this. So I walk in and immediately I order a super steak burrito. You ever see those cartoons where they're like, They bite into something and their eyes get big and like rainbows come out of their ears. I had that experience at this place. It was the best burrito I had in my entire life. I I, I loved it so much. I went every day for 10 days straight. I'm telling you, there is some Kentucky fan living a 600 pound life because of me somewhere. (laughs) I love this place so much. I would bring my friends like, you gotta come. And we're in line one time and we're chatting like, I'm talking this place up. I'm like, this is the best Mexican food I've had in my life. I'm telling you, I'm an expert. I'm a connoisseur of Mexican food. Anybody love tacos? Come on, these are the people that are filled with the God's spirit in this room right here. So I'm in line and the lady behind the counter, she's in the kitchen, you can see her, she's turning beans and no joke, she takes the spoon, puts it in her mouth and then puts it back but I love this place too much. I want want a super burrito, no beans, no beans, right? But I think you can relate to this experience that we often drive by places that look ugly, that we deem worthless, and we see no value, and we just go on by. May I submit to you that we don't just do that to places and things, we do it to people. People that look different than us, dress different than us, live different than us, perhaps even vote different than us, because we see no value, because they're so different, we just ignore them, we pass them by every single day. And it's often those places, the least likely places that God wants to do a miracle. And we would look at the before, say, there's no way God, and God says, I love that person, I wanna do something great there. But we pass by every day because we see no value. And that is the exact context of today's scripture. We are studying a book. I got 23 minutes to go through 12 chapters. Pray for me. Uh, some of you have been reading the book of Nehemiah. Let me kind of catch you up, give you some context. Nehemiah, it's on the screen, is a dude, has an entire book in the Old Testament devoted to him. He is a slave living in a foreign land, a thousand miles from Jerusalem. I love Nehemiah because he is not a pastor. He is not a prophet. He is not a miracle worker. He's just a dude who God uses to do something miraculous, but to give you some context, the year is 44 BC, 444 years before Christ. The Babylonians have come in and they've sieged Israel. They've destroyed the walls of protection. They've burned down the gates and three times, not once, not twice, three times, they would come in and they take a remnant. This is where we we hear about the the Jewish exile, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the book of Daniel, it's during this period. And the book of the exile should be very encouraging for Christians because if these people who are in the most pagan land, they not just survived the exile, they they thrived. They influenced the culture. God can use those people in Babylon. He can use us in Indiana and Silicon Valley. Amen? And the idea is that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, God wants to use your life to influence the culture in a positive way. But now the Babylonians have been sieged and overtaken by the Persians. And it's in the Bible, once you go Persian, there's no better version. It's just the truth. And Nehemiah has a new boss. His name is Artaxerxes. And uh, The context in which this happens is remarkable. Let me read you this verse. They said to me, Nehemiah chapter one, verse three, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Let me give you some context because some of you are like, when did this happen, Pastor Allie? Like five years ago? No. 10 years ago? No. 20, Pastor Allie? 50 141 years. This happened when Nehemiah's grandparents were alive. So why is Nehemiah crying about something that everybody knows? Look what happens in Nehemiah chapter one, verse four. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted before the God of heaven. Why is Nehemiah crying about something that every Jew knows? They were all born and raised in an environment where they would tell their family, we once had a wall, we once were a nation, now we're sieged. Why is he crying? Because God's the only one who can take old news and makes it new news. God's the only one that can take something that you already know and break your heart. And that's my goal this morning, is not to tell you anything new, but I'm praying and believing, I've been fasting and praying for you crossroads, that the spirit of God would whisper into your ear, pick it up over something you walk past every day because you see no value. Nehemiah knew the walls of Jerusalem were broken. He simply didn't care. And he's not weeping because of broken brick and mortar. He's crying for the lives of broken people because the walls represented hope. The walls represented security. When the walls were up, the blessing of God was in. When the walls were down, when you started business, the enemies would come in and they'd siege you. The walls meant there were broken marriages, broken lives, broken families. Nehemiah is crying, not over bricks, but the lives of broken people and he never cared before. And God wants to give some of you this morning a God dream and a God vision is this. It's when frustration with what is creates a passion for what could be. Are you and God crying about the same thing? Nehemiah hears the whisper of God, Nehemiah. And he begins to weep over the things that God weeps about. He begins to care about the things that God cares about. He begins to be concerned about the things that God is concerned about. He knew his whole life, he knew about the walls of Jerusalem. He simply never cared. And in the same way, I believe that there are people in your life that you walk past every day and you see their brokenness, like the brokenness of the walls of Jerusalem, and you simply don't care. And God's spirit wants to whisper, pick it up. I love the context of when this happens in Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah is not in seminary studying the great things of God. He's not a youth pastor herding cats and leading a bunch of youth group kids. He's not in the prayer closet either. Let me show you this verse, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. I was a cupbearer. Someone say cupbearer. Some of you had coffee. It's 11 a.m. Somebody say cupbearer. Thank you. Cupbearer. You're not going to find this job on monster.com. You're not going to find this job on LinkedIn. What the heck is a cupbearer? See, the king... There are constantly people trying to kill him. So when he would eat something, he would need someone else to taste it before he did. Why? Because you're looking for poison. Well, how do you find poison, Pastor Ali? You find it by dying. And you thought your job was stressful. right? so Nehemiah, three times a day, and if the king was keto, you would do this five times a day. He'd, he'd grab a cup and go, <coughs> oh, wrong pipe. It's, oh, it's good, king, you can have it. Every day he would do this three times a day, monotonous. He is not this religious person. He's not a prophet. He's not a healer. He is living in comfort and God breaks his heart in comfort. Let me tell you that this is no different than you and I. We are living in a pagan country. I know that shocks some of you, but if you are wealthy, just like Nehemiah, this is say, if you own a car and have a thousand dollars in the bank, you're in the top 3% of wealth in the world and often we compare ourselves to our neighbor. You are wealthy, you just don't know it. Nehemiah is a slave. He's not a Levite and God whispers in his ear, Nehemiah, pick it up. That's what I'm praying would happen to you, to you this morning. I, I, I can ex- speak from firsthand experience. I had my Nehemiah one experience. I got saved at 24. I'm born and raised in a Muslim home. And at the age of 25, I had been a Christian for a year and I'm living the, what I would call the typical American Christianity. Go to ugly buildings on Sunday and sing some songs from Australia and then go home, right? Put a pagan tree in your house, tell your friends that a fat German's gonna break in and leave gifts, American Christianity, right? No vision, no passion, no mission. And and, and one summer, I went to Mexico with my high school friends and I went to Hawaii with my Christian friends. How many know those are two very different vacations, you know what I'm saying? One is full of the Holy Spirit and one's full of a different kind of spirit. Don't judge me though, I'm paid to be good now. Before I was like you guys, good for nothing. (laughs) Life is different now. So imagine I come back from Mexico and we land at noon and then we all have dinner together at like 5 p.m. And we're talking about what are we gonna do next summer? Is it Europe? Is it Mexico again? Are we going to maybe Africa? Are we gonna backpack and eat? Where are we going? And the entire time, I'm only a Christian for a year now, I can sense the Holy Spirit speaking to me, convicting me. I've only been a Christian for a year, but I know my dad's voice. And go, guys, excuse me, I gotta go to the bathroom. And Even though I don't need to, I just go to the bathroom and I can say, God, what is it that you're saying? And remember, God said, when are you gonna help me rescue my lost kids? I'm not an emotional guy, but I broke down in that bathroom for like five straight minutes, weeping. This is what happens to Nehemiah. He knew the walls of Jerusalem were broken. He didn't care. I knew that there were lost people I simply didn't care. And I'm praying the Spirit of God this morning would whisper to you, pick it up, over someone you walk by every single day, maybe every single week, and you don't care. And often, I, I would say I cry like a girl, but girls are, my wife is one of the strongest people I know. I cry like a Kentucky fan on the floor of this bathroom. Right? And that's what I'm praying for you this morning, that the Spirit of God would say something to you. I, I can't teach you anything new, but it's the Spirit of God who takes something old, and he makes it new for you. And there are three things that, that are principles from the book of Nehemiah that I wanna put in your spirit this morning. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. I tell this to my church every single week. If you take notes in church, you're more likely to go to heaven. Whoa, Pastor Allie. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are those odds, like 95% more likely to go. Those are good odds. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Nehemiah principle number one, a God vision Rarely requires immediate action. It always requires patience. It always requires patience. Often we think the moment that God speaks, I gotta step out. And there's a season of waiting. Waiting is gonna feel like working. And when life and the vision is too hard to, to stand and hold it, the purpose is to kneel and pray. Because God wants to build something in you. He wants to formulate something in you that you can't get from your pastor. You can't get from your parents. You can't even get from your friends at church. Only God himself can whisper encouragement into your heart. And often he, he gives you a vision of what's possible that's only available in the prayer closet. How long did Nehemiah pray? Four months. Four months. Four months. Moses had to wait 40 years before he could lead the nation of Israel. Paul had to wait 10 years before he could start planting churches. People ask, God, when God gives me a God vision, how long do I need to wait? Anywhere between four months and 40 years. Wait for it, wait for it. But God wants to do something in the prayer closet that he, he cannot do outside of it. And often he expands your vision. I learned this the hard way. I got two kids, a five-year-old and a two-year-old. The two-year-old, her favorite line right now is, Dad, I hungry. Always hungry. And we put dinner in forever, no, 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 no. Pushes it away, I want snack. I'm like, you are definitely your mom's daughter, girl. So a couple months ago, we go to the pantry and she goes, dad, strawberry, strawberry. I'm like, honey, we're in the pantry. There are no strawberries here. She goes, dad, strawberry. I'm like, honey. And then she does this, like, pick me up, you idiot. Just let me show you. So I pick her up, kind of leans into the pantry and she moves this box of goldfish. Lo and behold, there's a bag of dehydrated strawberries behind. I'm like, you are a prodigy, where did you come from? That's what God does in the prayer closet. He wants to show you things that he would never show you outside. Often we disqualify ourselves before even stepping out because we're afraid, we don't feel qualified. But God expands your vision of what can happen only in the prayer closet. Let me read you his prayer. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11 says, Lord, Let your ear be attentive. Let your ear be attentive to the prayers of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Nehemiah is praying for two things that I think you need to pray for this morning. The first one is opportunity. Someone say opportunity. Some of you need to stop praying for miracles. Some of you are waiting on God to do a miracle and you give yourself this excuse that until I see the supernatural, I'm not gonna move. Some of you are waiting for God to part the Red Sea and God put a boat. You can get there on the other side the same way. It takes hard work sometimes. Some of you make an excuse for the miraculous. You are a walking miracle. God doesn't make bad people good. He makes dead people come alive. You are a walking Lazarus. You are the miracle that God wants. And often we, we say, no, 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 I, I need to see a miracle. God wants you to pray for an opportunity. Opportunity. And often we push back, waiting on God, and God's pushing back on us saying, I'm waiting on you. Nehemiah does not pray that the walls of Jerusalem miraculously are formed. He says, God, give me the king's ear. Give me the king's ear. Just give me an opportunity. I know this from my own personal life. I had to learn this principle the hard way. Uh, When you guys got behind me in January 2017, we launched in the fall of 2017. February of that month, there was a pastor in town, one of the most influential pastors in my city, was totally against me starting this church, Center said. Primarily because I came out of an engineering background. He's like, most of you nerds can't do it. I'm like, oh, we tutored in your high school, leave me alone, man. right? But he said, no, he said, you're, you're, you're too analytical. You, you can't do it. And not only did he do that, he began to tell people not to support me. So imagine I'm emailing 30 different pastors in, in the Bay Area saying, I'd love to go out with you, have coffee, love to share my vision, love to, for you guys to support me. Nine of those guys, Tried to hire me. I'm like, wait, 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 listen, listen, listen. I'm trying to start a church. I don't want to work for you. I want your support. No, 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 you shouldn't plant the church. I'm like, where are you getting this idea from? And all nine guys pointed back to that guy. Let me just be honest. My flesh wanted that guy to have diarrhea every day. I wanted him to have nightmares. I was praying for a miracle. And then my prayers changed when it never came. I said, God, just give me an opportunity to show my calling to this man. And out of the blue, his executive pastor emails one day, say, hey, we'd love for you to come preach at our church. I'm like, is this a trap? Like what's going on? Preach at his church, I bring my skinny jeans that you think your wife should be wearing, and I, I come and I preach God's word. And his son, the executive pastor's son, it was the most impactful sermon he had heard that year. He said, dad, that guy, I can't forget his sermon. A few weeks later, the senior pastor calls me and said, hey, I just gotta apologize. I was totally wrong about you. What can I do? I said, can you email this guy, that guy, and that guy over there? And this man wrote one email that helped raise $150,000. The reason why I tell you this story is not that God turns your haters into elevators. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is I didn't pray for a miracle. I prayed for an opportunity. You are the miracle, church. And God wants to use you in miraculous ways. You don't need to pray for miracles because you already are one. The second thing that Nehemiah prays for, someone say favor. 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 Nehemiah prays for favor. Let me show you this verse. It says, uh, read it to you again. You don't need to see on the screen. Uh, Nehemiah, oh, I'm sorry, prays for favor. I can't find the verse. The idea is that throughout the scriptures, the men of God, the women of God, again and again and again. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, the, the hall of fame of faith, those people are not the most educated. They're not the smartest. They're not the most gifted. They're the people that are the favorite. You need favor. Some of you think you need a degree from that school. You need favor. You think you need uh, connections to advance in your career. You need favor. You think if you, if you work on, at this job, have that on your resume, no, those people have this much money and have this, then you'll advance. No, you need favor. Favor opens doors that no man, no education, no family connection can open. You need favor. How does a slave who's not even a Levite, how's he gonna approach a king who doesn't even like the Israelites, even believe in the God, gonna grant this slave, this Nehemiah dude, favor. That's what favor does. Opens doors that no man can open. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and say that word with me. Favor with God and man. So often Christians push back. They're giving me these cop-outs. Why they don't need to give their best? They don't need to live a life of excellence or give their heart, work hard. Like Pastor Alec, come on. God looks at the heart. Like thank God for you. Yes, you're right. God does look at the heart. But when the moment you follow Jesus, He says, I will make you fishers of men which means we are fishing for men, not fishing for God. And yes, God looks at the heart, but man looks at the outside. He looks at our work ethic. He looks at our skills. He looks at our drive. And even Jesus himself, Jesus needed the favor, not of just God, but of men. And this slave who is not a Levite, who is not in seminary, who is poor, who is looked down upon in this culture. How does he, how is he the author of this miracle? Because he prayed for an opportunity, and prayed for favor. You need both of these things. And I'm praying that when God whispers, pick it up, you wouldn't just pray for a miracle. You would step out in faith. Second thing that Nehemiah needed that only you can get in the prayer closet. Principle number two, God always uses unqualified people. God always uses unqualified qualified people most people say Pastor Alec, thank you for the Monday motivation and thank you for telling me that you were an engineer and now you're a pastor that's such a good story you don't know my story though you don't know my past you don't know things I've done you don't know my family you don't know my education God can't use me and the moment you tell me that you tell me you went to public school because clearly you didn't read your Bible because the Bible is filled with jokers smokers and midnight tokers in the Bible okay he's got space for one more trust me Most people disqualify themselves without even starting because they don't think they're qualified. How does a slave feel qualified to lead a nation? The prayer closet, the prayer closet. Let me give you a short Bible study on the people in the scriptures that were not qualified to be used by God. Noah was a drunkard. God uses drunk people, come on. Abraham was too old. He was a hundred years old and had kids. That isn't just crazy, that's nasty. Every morning his wife Sarah would change their son Isaac's diaper. And then two seconds later she changed Abraham's diaper because he's 100 years old. (laughs) Jacob was a liar, liar, pants on fire. Joseph was a spoiled brat. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson, oh my goodness, this dude's a womanizer. This dude's in Bloomington at the bars and clubs taking girls home. And God used that guy. Jeremiah was too young. King David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Excuse me while I get biblical for a second. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist was a vegan. God, don't say it, Pastor Yes, God uses vegans. Peter denied Christ not once, but three times. The disciples, they fell asleep when they prayed. But you guys have never done that, come on. Martha worried about everything. That's a sin by the way. The Samaritan divorced not once, not twice. We stopped counting after five. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had ulcers and Lazarus was dead. God can use dead, you don't even need to breathe. You don't even need to talk and God can use you. And if, there's, if you need more evidence, God can use a Kentucky fan, come on. God only uses unqualified people. The moment that you think you're qualified, you're disqualified. That's the beauty of the gospel. That no one is good, no one is righteous. And how does a slave who has no money, who is not a Levite, who has no influence, he prays for an opportunity, he prays for favor, and God whispers in the prayer closet, I wanna use you, Nehemiah, I wanna use you. I believe the Spirit of God wants to whisper to you, pick it up, but if you don't get in the prayer closet, You'll never walk it out. Because you'll disqualify yourself on the journey. But there's a third principle found in Nehemiah chapter six. Read it with me. So Nehemiah, he goes to the king, he's never been sad before the king, and the king says, why are you sad? He goes, my, my people are in ruin. And he asked for money, he gets it. He asked for wood, he gets it. He asked for, uh, to be the mayor of, of Jerusalem and he gets it. He asked for protection and he gets it. Everything that he prayed for in the prayer class for four months, he gets, because he has favor on his life. And he goes back to the people of Jerusalem. He's like, guys, I know it's been broken for 141 years, but look what God, who, look who God is using. And read with me Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. What had been broken for 141 years, Nehemiah rebuilt in 52 days. Miracle. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done the help of our God. Third principle is this. God always rebuilds with leftovers. With leftovers. See, Nehemiah, he's a a cupbearer to the king. That means this dude probably gets a mani and pedi every week. He's got to have clean hands before he hands the king a cup. Because the king doesn't want men with dirt underneath their fingernails. This guy's never been on a construction site in his life. And in my mind, I thought he just showed up like, hey guys, okay, here's what we're gonna do. I need someone to go to Home Depot, someone to go to Lowe's. That is not what happens in this story. They do not rebuild the walls of Jerusalem with new bricks. They went down the ground and they picked up the broken pieces, they used the leftovers and they rebuilt the walls with that. The pieces, that the people stepped over every single day. Imagine you're a Jew in Jerusalem and you're going to work. You'd see the wall and you step over it. You're Taking the kids to school and you step over the wall. Dad, what, what is this half wall? Oh, a long time ago, we used to have a wall. And you're, you normalize the brokenness. It's always been that way, it's worthless. Yet God values worthless things. How does that even make sense, Pastor Alley? Because when God sees something, he doesn't see it the way you see it. He sees what can come out of the brokenness. Whereas you and I see only the brokenness, God sees the redemptive purpose. My question for you this morning is, who do you walk past every day? Who's your it or what is your it? It's probably a loved one, coworker, family member, maybe a neighbor that you see the brokenness in their life and just always, they're they're never gonna come to church and you step over them. If I can be honest, some of you, this is your marriage. The day you're married is the best day of your life till death do us part. Now you pray, can you die so we can part? And you come to church fighting the whole way in the car. I'm a pastor, I know how it really is. And you come to church like, how are you? Blessed and highly favored the Lord, how are you? And your roommates, sleep in separate rooms. Your marriage is dead and you long for a new one. And God wants to take the brokenness of your marriage, not a new marriage, the leftovers. And he wants you to pick it up. Someone say, pick it up. Some of you, your family's broken. You hate Thanksgiving and Christmas because you gotta be around the dysfunction again. And you see your friends and family that have these amazing family pictures and your family should be have its own reality show because they're cray cray. And you wish you had a different family. Instead of giving you a new one, God wants you to pick up the brokenness of your family, the leftovers and be the redemptive person. Some of you, it's your purpose. I didn't get in the school I wanted. I didn't get the degree I wanted. I'm, now I'm stuck in this job. and You think your purpose is broken. God wants you to pick it up again. Who do you walk past that looks different than you, lives differently than you? Maybe they vote different than you. And every day, you're kind of annoyed and you step over them. And where you ignore them, God looks at the brokenness and weeps. That's what a God vision does. It creates frustration with what is and creates a passion for what could be. This guy in my high school, he was voted most racist. (laughs) He was the least likely person to go to church. So if anyone is ever going to get thrown in prison for killing someone, it's this dude. He would drink like crazy at college parties, pass out. The power of Facebook is that I don't just see what you ate for lunch that day. I can get connected with my old high school and college friends and I got reconnected with this guy. This guy accepted Christ after college. I'm like, what? The least likely person to ever accept Christ. His life is totally different. And when I found out I was being invited to come speak at Crossroads, I connect with him. I'm like, bro, you gotta come. I know you're not close, but let's meet here. I invited him here today. I know I didn't tell you, Pastor Phil, sorry, surprise, you know, yeah. if you guys wanna meet him, he's here. He's, I wanna show you a picture of what, what, what God picks up someone's life that's totally broken. This man had an anger problem, an alcohol problem, and a porn problem. He's the least likely person to ever come to church. And dude, this guy, bro, come out. It's, it's Q, hey. One second. Hey, bro, come out. That man is me. And my sister, 15 years ago, she saw the brokenness and instead of doing this, she got down and prayed. Give me an opportunity, God. Give me favor. Right. I wonder who you step over every day. Maybe you're married to them. Right. Maybe you're related to them. And you've given up. You're just, you normalize the brokenness. And God wants to use you. Stop praying for a miracle, pray for an opportunity. And I'm praying that the Spirit of God would whisper, pick it up. And what I love about your church, Crossroads, is that you guys have a vision to pick it up. You guys are a kingdom impacting church. You guys are shaking the gates of hell in Kyoto, Japan, in Dubai, in Brooklyn and in Silicon Valley. And my dream is not that you would regrow back to pre-COVID numbers, but the number of people that you are saving and baptizing outside the four walls of this church would be as as impactful in this room. That's my dream and vision for you because you guys have a vision to pick it up because that's the gospel. God left heaven, not because he was angry, but he so loved the world. He didn't come to beat you down. He came to raise you up. And Nehemiah is a shadow of Jesus. Nehemiah went to the king and he risked his life. Jesus was the king and he gave his life. Nehemiah shed sweat, blood and tears. Jesus shed his blood. When you and I were dead in our trespasses, we were broken. Because of God's great love and mercy, he made us alive in Christ. He picked us up and he turned us around, set our feet on solid ground. You are God's it. And I'm praying that the spirit of God will be whispered to you in this service, pick it up. Someone say, pick it up. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much. for the ways in which you save us. Every single one of us in this room, God, we're here because you saw our brokenness and you did something about it. I pray God for every voice that can hear, every person can hear the sound of my voice, that you would speak to them, that you would encourage them, that there's someone a loved one in their life that they've avoided, that they've dismissed, say, oh, it's worthless. And you weep over that person. You love that person. And you wanna rebuild that person's life. God, I don't pray for a miracle. I pray for an opportunity the people in this room would would pray for favor to be used by you in a mighty way. And God, on those days where we feel inadequate, we don't feel qualified, remind us the scriptures are filled with jokers, smokers, and midnight tokers. We love you, God. Thank you. When we needed it most, you picked us up. Everybody said?